like we made merge in in like two weeks like the very basic piece well um, like the and, first prototype yeah i mean it was you know our team is knowledgeable. It was it was really glued together from Unity assets or code that you know they put together quickly. Like everything was glued together. I'll just put it that way, right? And the interesting thing is, if you finished all the content, the game would crash. Games and Names podcast. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome! Welcome to the fourth episode of Games and Names Podcast, a show where we talk about games and people in them. My name is Tan, I'm your usual host and also VP of Product at AppMagic, an analytical service for analyzing mobile markets and providing actionable insights. Today in our virtual studio is my favorite co-host, Yasa Kroon. Yasa. Hello! Yeah, looking good, man. Glad to see thank you. Thank you, thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, and a special guest, Arseny Lebedev, CEO and co-founder of Original Games. Arseny, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if there is anything you want to share about Arseny, just feel free, that's your moment of fame. Yeah, introduce yourself to us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been in games for a long time. Uh, since 2009, I was born in Russia, and I moved to the US when I was a little kid. And, you know, through my kind of more than 10-year career, uh, I've been always involved in mobile and at Original Games. We founded in 2020. We started with doing hyper-casual, uh, then we got into this merge genre that I'm really happy to be part of, and, you know, raised some money and growing ever since. A lot of interesting things going on, so I'm happy to talk to you guys about merge. I mean, the other thing that I always like to tell people that not many people know about me is like I, I got into like nightclubs I got into music even though I'm not Ooh. a music fan um, nice. so I, I actually I was a part owner in, in a couple clubs in Russia before Russia turned evil and but I mean it, for me it's less about the music it's more about the artists speaking mm -hmm. to those people and hanging out with them is really cool so nice. this is actually so original games is my fifth business if you count those clubs wow wow Wow, that's a lot. So, so you so, so you were also an entrepreneur in the in, in, I mean, like the yes, nightlife. I'm always an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. the, nightlife. There's no profit. It's all about. It's like a just a safe place to hang out. Experience, nice. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we'll have a nice uh, party of our own here on this call right now. Sorry for that absolutely terrible pun. Thanks for introducing yourself to us, Arseny. Just a quick word about myself. Like as I introduced myself in uh, the first time I was I was on uh, the podcast with Stan, but I am a game designer based in London, working at Product Madness. I'm very excited to be part of this little crew today. Nice. Nice. So, gentlemen, I think today we want to discuss merge games and mm -hmm. everything around them. So, what are merge games? Why we talk about them? What is going on with the market? What are different variations like merge two, merge three, maybe some hybrids? What it takes to launch a successful merge two game? And here is our same experience will just shine the best. And of course, what are the genre's problems right now? Because it's not all about successes. And what is in the future for this niche? So that's the whole idea for the episode, of course. We might go in some side talks. That's totally fine. But in general, let's try to find out what the hell is merch and how to cook it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So let's start with that first question. So Arshini, in your kind of perspective as someone who works deeply in this genre, can you kind of explain to us how Merge came about and how it grew to be the serious contender that it is uh, today? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not the Merge historian, right? Because I think it all started way earlier. And I'm sure there's some some trolls out there that know all the secrets. But I mean, everything started as, as Merge 3, where it was an isometric kind of gameplay, and you would merge two or more, sometimes three or more objects on the board. And it's it was more like a decoration. So I'm thinking of like Spry Fox. Like that was a merge game. Hmm. Um, what was it called? Town? Maybe, maybe. I always thought that one of the first merge games, I mean, really successful and popular merge games was 2048, because it hmm. just came out of nowhere. Oh, okay. Really, well, I mean, the core mechanic sort of. itself. And merging those two pieces yeah, together. Yeah, so I'm, ta that I'm talking about sense. Triple Town. So, uh -huh. like, this goes back even to Triple Town, the mechanic, and probably even further, and there's, there's old school games there. But, I mean, we're talking about free-to-play, right? So, kind of... Merge Dragons was among the, f the first really successful ones. Erver Merge is there. Th those all merged three. But we we looked at Merge two and we decided that you know we could probably do something with this because it's it's some way similar to Match three. Very simple puzzle games with changing mechanics. And I mean that's how we kind of decided to 
take the plunge into doing a merge two without a big meta game. And that's kind of our game merge in. I mean, we can talk specifically more about merge in, but the question is more about where did merge come from? I mean, I think the idea is like, how do you do match three without competing with match three? And that's why folks kind of went into merge two. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the main reason then. It's just kind of that Merge 3 space was really populated with these really big games, but Merge 2 seemed more attractive then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's uh, if you think about it, and I'm sure a lot of companies, if they have the same kind of point of view as us, like, you know, small company, not a lot of resources. When we launched Merge in, we didn't have, you know, I was just funding the company myself. Um, mm. We were like what do you do that's that's not going to take a lot of development time that we can iterate? Um, you know, which is kind of the hyper-casual thesis is you you make a simple gameplay and then you grow it. And I remember when we started Original Games, that was always, and it still is the thesis, do simple and then once something sticks, grow it, grow it, grow it. You know, and we worked with several hyper-casual publishers and they, they didn't believe that thesis. They just said, hey, make the gameplay, we'll monetize it with ads and then make a new gameplay. But so when we launched Merge, Merge In, the idea was, like we made Merge In in like two weeks. Like the, the very basic piece. Wow, um, like the and, first prototype. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, our team is knowledgeable. It was, it was really glued together from Unity assets or code that, you know, they put together quickly. Like everything was glued together. I'll just put it that way, right? And the interesting thing is if you finished all the content, the game would crash. So we saw a lot of people getting crashes on that first kind of cohort when we saw that, oh, like, I think it was like level 25 was meant to not be finishable. And that's why mm -hmm. the game crashed, but people finished sure. it. So that was cool. That was a yeah, good signal to continue developing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That sounds like a good sign. If people like, just Definitely. go right to the end. Yeah, it is, it is. I think that's a very good idea to look out for the genres that are pretty close to the most popular ones, like the Match 3 or Merge 3. But at the same time, it's Red Ocean there, and it's just suicidal to go there, especially with a small team. So it's yeah. very wise to explore the market. I think it's know. more about the small yeah. team, right? I, I think yeah. it's like, yeah. I don't see these titans as, you know, they can't be beaten just because of size. I think they can't be beaten because of resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because like their marketing budgets, they can basically buy out all the merge to genre at in whole and that's the problem yeah we talked about it in episode zero like for a, with the example of uh, coin master for example moon active just has so much money that any other looter that's trying to break into that that market has a really hard time i mean don't discount live ops though moon active has an incredible live ops culture and like i mean if you just you know for the the real eagles just Type in Moon Active Monetization into LinkedIn, and I think you'll find more monetization managers than like companies have employees. You know, not kissing asses, but Moon Active's monetization, I think, is the reason that they're able to succeed with Family Island and, you know, and their merge game as well, Travel Town. It is about UA, but also just the amount of resources you can put on to optimize the game and continue optimizing the game. So a little bit more about, about Merge In, about your game. We see this throughout Merge, whether it's Merge 2 or, or Merge 3, different kind of meta games coming in. And of course, Merge In has this cooking meta game. Can you speak a little bit about how you landed on that idea and why you went for this style of meta versus other, other yeah. styles? Well, so actually, it's, it's a good point. So everything in that game is very, very calculated. When we started, we were thinking, okay, you know, let's do a puzzle game. What kind of puzzle game do you do? Well, there's a lot of puzzle games, so it has to be, it has to look different. It has to kind of Play different, but the thing with casual puzzle is you can't. It can't be completely different. So if you look like if you look at something like dots, like I think that's the most visually different, the audio difference. That's the that's the furthest you can go before it becomes niche. So with merge in, we had several rules on what we wanted to do with the game. So the kind of number one is I wanted to have animal characters instead of people, and that's a big risk, right? Because that turns off a lot of people. But I think we did a good job, and I'll explain how I got there. We didn't want to have a deep meta, and you know, and we wanted to be a merge game. So we did a bunch of art tests on Facebook. I think we had nine different tests. It was theme tests and visuals, always with animals. And then, so the cooking one with this kind of Disney cartoony style was the one that just won based on kind of engagement on these campaigns. And cooking, you know, if you guys follow casual, is kind of one of the principal themes. I thought for Merge, cooking would be awesome, right? Because there's just so many ingredients, there's so many dishes. And I specifically, the idea was specifically to focus on cooking, not restaurant management, even though the game is called Merge In. Hmm. Um, because you can have just like, the food doesn't end. Yeah, um, for and, sure. and I think 
One of the things that we do that's really good is like, you know, if you're a hardcore player, the game has a lot of levels and each episode introduces a new kitchen or a new a new set of foods. We try really hard to be authentic for international cooking. And one of the things we try to do is like the deeper you get in that chain of items, the more crazy the item is, the more crazy the resulting tile is. So it might be a, a very complex Asian dish. And I really hope that some players will be like, I want to find out what this thing is and actually try it in real life. And, oh, and like, nice. That's a cool motivation to kind of keep going. But I mean, I, I think one of the issues with a lot of these, a lot of the competitors is like the themes are boring. Like how hey. interesting can gardening be? How many freaking shovels are there? Yeah. Um, so oh, I think that's and, why we kind of stuck with... Love and gardening and listen to, to us right now, please just... Plug yeah, in please just destroy me and, and leave bad reviews on Mergin. Um, but it's like, I think it's kind of to answer your question, it was like, what can we have endless content for where it won't be like the golden shovel, grandma's lost yeah. shovel, like that kind of no, thing. It's very clever. It's very clever. I mean, what is cooking other than merging ingredients yes. together? I'm talking in real life, right? And I, I kind of like that when art mirrors life in that sense. I don't know if that was any part of the, the motivation. I, I understand also the, the need to find that meta that can be truly endless. And I mean, well, food is, you know, like you can at some point, even if you run out of real dishes, start making up your own, you know? But, uh, but so on the meta side, like I'm a big fan of um, the idea that you don't need to have, you don't need to be building anything you don't need to be decorating anything so the bet was like can we just make this a level level based merge 2 game where you know the point is the core gameplay you know and then looking at things like royal match there is a meta there it's very very simple we have a very similar meta in in another merge game merge them um Mm -hmm. but with merge in was specifically can we get away keeping that same retention without having really a meta so the game has evolved where the (laughs) there's these kind of mini games that are just very short merge puzzles and that's kind of also a piece of the meta and we'll see where it goes maybe we will continue doing this kind of mini games, but they will maybe steer a bit away from the Merge 2 core. You know, if you look at some successes other guys are having, sometimes putting in uh, some kind of exploration mini game seems to be working. Right, right. Interesting. So now uh, you just kind of mentioned it. Nice segue to our next uh, topic area, more the market. So what are we seeing out there in the merge space? So could you kind of describe your vision of what's happening in the niche right now? Like what's going on in the merge market, merge segment? And, and look, this is purely my opinion. Please direct yeah. all hate towards Disclaimer. me. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you absolutely. can email me. Yeah. Um, No, but I mean, I think there's kind of three things going on, right? So if you happen to have a lot of money because your mother company is one of the biggest game companies in the world, you can afford to buy your revenue forward, right? So you you can buy two years forward. Not everyone can do that. If you're a publicly listed company, buying four years is impossible. Two years is even tough. So that's kind of one direction. You can buy your way to the top. And, you know, I'm not saying Merge Mansion is a bad game. I think it's a great game and what they're doing is interesting. We specifically didn't want to go that way, right? Because of the differentiation. You know, maybe our third game will, will also have an isometric uh, metagame. So then kind of there's guys like us that are, in a, you know, again, I'm not saying we're anything special. I just I just love making games and I'm, I'm trying to innovate. We're, we're trying to innovate. I think with Merge In, there's a lot of small things that we've done that others haven't done and, and that's giving us success. We've had a, we had a really good, I think this month we had a really good A-B test that we launched live that improved their metrics. So kind of like there's small companies that can afford to innovate. And then I think the third one is companies that are seeing that, okay, if we just clone this game very quickly, we can probably, you know, buy a bunch of market share and we won't be leader, but we're happy just making uh, revenue because you can the margins you c- can be pretty sexy depending on kind of your level of spend. And, th- you know, so th- that's kind of the thing. It's like rich guys that are innovating, poor guys that are innovating, and then folks just, you know, spinning the numbers. Like copycatting the, the, the best practices and trying but, to... Yeah. And I think that's completely fine. And, you know, if we had the finances, I think I would totally be doing that. Yep, pretty understandable. With the merge mention, I think you've just so they're playing the long game and they have enough resources for that. But not all the companies out there they can they can think in the terms of two years, three years span receiving money from their users from such a long time. It's really difficult. You can do that. And with the copycatting with the last practice. So we had an episode with Yesa about cloning and this whole, when there is a successful game and then there is whole wave of clones coming up. And I think with merge games, it might be a little bit tricky because from the outside, they might seem very simple. 
just simple to copy, you just go out there. But from the inside, you have to have the good setting. You have to work with the balance. You have to work with the monetization. By the way, you've mentioned CoinMaster. I've heard, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it sounds at least realistic. So the guys there, they first began with building the monetization level, even without the gameplay, even without the game, just like the abstract bone level monetization. And after they received good success with that, they decided, okay, so what type of gameplay we can put upon of that. Hmm. And, well, it sounds pretty, pretty accurate based on the game and how it performs. Yeah, I think, and sorry to interrupt, but I think the better phrasing there is you have a bunch of PhD economists that are saying, <laughs> let's make an economic model like this. And then you have a bunch of game designers that are like, what the hell do we, how do we, how do we make this work? And if it worked and look at the magic there. And again, all the egos, look up how many economists work at uh, Moon Active. <laughs> Yeah, that's their strategy, right? Get that I mean, expertise in, those PhDs. And give me, at the, at the give me those day, guys. <laughs> right. I mean, look, like game economies are really are getting more and more sophisticated, more and more interesting, and they're generating huge sums of money. So it doesn't surprise me. It is a fun, like for people who don't work in the game industry and don't have that knowledge, it's a fun cocktail party fact to pull out. It's like, oh, did you know that if you had an economics PhD, you'd definitely get a job in the games industry. I don't think people think about that. Yes. Um, but okay, so you mentioned Merge Mansion and that asymmetric, that asymmetric core meta that they have. Do you think that that's kind of like their secret sauce or do they have something else going on in there that has really propelled them to their position? Yeah, so I mean, and again, like I don't, I don't really know them very well and they're all very tight-lipped. There's an interesting interview, Deconstructor Fund with, with their top guys, and I'm sure you, you'll get zero data out of it. But I think, I mean, Merge Mansion has kind of first player advantage. They have financial advantage they started doing celebrity ads for some reason you know I, I used to work machine zone where kind of i saw how good you know having a hottie lady works having a superstar all of that and you know those influencers are all picked by data it's not just because somebody likes you know arnold so it's like metacore has an incredibly powerful ua team and then on the game side you know i would I would argue that there were not many risks taken with the decision to do that, to do that kind of game. It's very straightforward. You know, I will say that there's a lot of gardening tools and shovels and things, which I think is so boring, but I mean, the players love it. And then I think they figured out that if you layer a kind of mystery story here, that's going to appeal to some to some folks. Those who played the game early, you know, that really wasn't part of it. Um, and, you know, for a game that's about a mansion, that mansion only opened recently. But I mean, I, I think it's like luck was a big part of it. And as dumb as that sounds, it's like they, they managed to do enough safe stuff and enough kind of risky stuff that worked. On my position, it's like I, we just weren't, the timing wasn't good. I couldn't, I wanted to do something much riskier. You know, we're, we're growing okay. Yeah, nice. I mean, like very different games, right? Very different approach to, to that meta. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that the mansion only opened recently and that now they're kind of leaning into that mystery element more. This is a thing that I always have with games with these kinds of metas is that, you know, there must be some kind of endpoint there. Like, are you going to solve the mystery one day uh, or are you going to run <laughs> out of map? Or is it just always going to be another cloudy area that's added just yeah. beyond the, the last cloudy area? And that's actually why I, why I see some of the wisdom in your guys' approach with Merge In. And it's just every time a new kitchen that you don't have to necessarily uh, lean into the, that promise of more. You know, it's just you can just pull out, well, and pull so out can, of your hat. Can we go in a little bit deeper on the game design piece? Of course, yeah, we'd yeah, love to. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. So, please, <laughs> I think. So, I think what I think what what Metacore left kind of like in second priority, maybe in third priority, is kind of live ops because they're just. I mean, in the past year, they were just starting to do events and all that, and you know, I don't. Maybe I'm a dummy or something, but I don't think they updated their economy for the first several years, like. Maybe it's so good that I missed it. But I have a sense that they've only been starting to optimize that recently. You know, and if it's working, don't break it. So I, I think what I'm trying to kind of get into is like to be super successful, to be able to compete with them, even with that budget, it's like it's all about keeping players engaged. I think having another cloudy area is fine. What you need to not forget is that this is not match three and you cannot just add more game mechanics. Um, mm. You have to you have to understand that your players are there because they like exploration. They like achievements. And that's some. I mean, that's with the food. It's like, you know, if you're really there about discovering you, you know, new types of food, that's cool. We did a couple of things where like there's some items in the game that you can you have to 
spend like a month to unlock like these four items. We did that as an experiment. And there's literally people that are motivated to unlock these these four items. And, and that kind of pointed us to the direction that, hey, there's people that are just interested in like filling up the collection. Mm. Um, and, and that's motivation enough. Solving the mystery of grandma, I would argue that people don't give a shit. I think they're more about building a cool garden, collecting stuff, and just having like a cozy time. Right. I mean, to me, one of the big, like, I haven't worked in, in Merge, but when I play it and then try to evaluate these, these core games, seems to me a huge motivation is organization. Like, there's something really satisfying. I always like, I'm like, okay, I'll put my shovels in this corner and I'll put my, yeah. you know, whatever. I was playing lots of Love and Pies recently because I just find that super charming game. Game and it's a cool one with those like orders, you know, that you have to fulfill. But there I had a really fun time having my drinks area and my food area on my merge board. I guess, how do you kind of see that? Is that something that you don't really like think about too much when you're working in merge, um, merge in? Or is it something that you take for granted? I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on yeah. that side of the motivation? One of the key problems with, and this is simple math, is one of the key problems with this is that board is finite. And of course, savvy players will organize. All the merge games have the same problem that if you have enough containers, the board will fill up fully and there won't be any game game space left so everyone gives storage we give storage at some point our season ends so you have a brand new board to kind of not start over but continue on you can always go back and then super savvy players realize that their storage is it's shared so you can actually move items between the boards uh, <laughs> um sometimes i think some of them are blocked but was that intentional um, in any case like was yeah, that yeah, intentional that was, design that was, or was that the emergent like uh, realization because someone forgot to code in the line that the story? No, no, also... we, we spent. There were so many meetings about that. Like, gotcha. I'm cool. like, no shared, vo no shared storage, and and the team was like, no, no. There's a reason for this. People will do it. And I mean, you know, what folks do is they may hog power ups and stuff on the old board. Right. But I mean, it's like to your point. Yes, there is an element of kind of resource management, and that's another thing that differs from Match Three. Match Three does have a bit of resource management, but this is way different. This is like, you know, you can sell those containers that. To take up your board but we're not i mean i'm not seeing a lot of players doing that and that's that's ultimately the advanced strategies you have to figure out i'm not going to need these things anymore i think there are some games out there like trail town they just give you not just storage for the containers but also storage for generators because at some point you will yeah. have so many of them on the desk so that you will have just to uh push yeah, them away we call we call uh, generators containers. I just, I hate oh. using technical terms for casual games. Like, I mean, so like generator is such a technical like thingy. <laughs> container is something to put true. food in. Uh, mm. um, generator is so, a, ga a gamey word. It's like what game designers would call it. Like it's technically it is generating stuff. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, so, in, uh, or like spawners. Yeah, spawner, yeah, yeah, spawner. Only like real gamers use those kind of words. So yeah, like, you know, talking about Merge Mansion, we, we were just there a little bit. You mentioned in passing that they haven't done much for live ops. But yeah, what do you see as the role of live ops? If, if, if you think that they're not doing enough, how, how, how do you see it? as? A so um, I think they, they are starting to, or at least Again, I don't really follow them closely, but when we were looking closely at them, we weren't seeing many live events and we weren't see we were just seeing live events repeating. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and granted how much cash they have, I'm surprised that it, they don't have like 60 teams doing live ops like like Moon Active. Um, so I look at lives, uh, live ops as a lot of, there's like a lot of buckets. And, and I just did this at Jason Horowitz speedrun accelerator thing. And part of that was like, understanding really the full scope of live ops. So like, think about the segmentation of users. There's some people that are just really into the game and they're really happy to spend money. And for them, the average $20 offer, it's like, if it's $50, they'll still buy it. Mm -hmm. So how do you groom those folks? How do you make them even happier? There's other players that will never pay. And it's like, how do you make them happy anyway? Um, so that's one piece of live ops. And, you know, and VIP management, again, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a moon active uh, kiss ass. I just, these guys keep coming up and they're really fun people anyway. But they, ha they have a huge VIP management team. I wish I could do that. So that's one piece. But, but also kind of engaging events. So, you're, you know, you're grinding this core game for two years or whatever. There should be things that are, um, that draw your attention for a limited period of time. If you're really interested check it out. There's a little bit of time pressure. I don't think, uh, I don't think casual games should have heavy time pressure. I don't think casual games should be heavily competitive, um, but there's answers to everything. And that's, that's actually something we're actively working on. And, and we've had a couple of breakthroughs in at the end of May that are focused on these, these kind of 
time-limited events. And actually, it's an interesting, uh, and, and I don't know if I'm going too deep on game mechanics, but like, imagine you have a core game that's focused on on cooking. If you have mm-hmm. limited events, if you, and, you will, and you love gardening, you can do a gardening limited event. And I think that's kind of what we're doing with, I mean, and, and, and Metacore were among the first to do these live events for a Merge 2 game, and some of them were really funny. Like, I think they just didn't have time to draw the assets, so the assets were just like letters and numbers, but people were still playing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's one of the first story events that appear in their, in their game. I mean, looking at the market right now, researching it, we, for example, stumble upon that the, the majority of the games have a very, very, in the best scenarios, they lack good live ops. And it's surprising because some of the teams, they come from match three, they have a big experience. Even you mentioned it, Metacore with Merge Mansion. For the last year, they began the experiments, they began trying different live ops, Love and Pice. Yes, you've mentioned it. For the long time, they've been running the same short events, like they've got these two weekend events, they keep keep shuffling, and that's all. And that's crazy, because with a casual game, if you want a good LTV, if you, got, if you want your players to stay in your game and be happy about it, you have to have a very wide live ops. And it's a great opportunity for coming up with some really cool game design ideas as well, from my point of view, at least. It, dude, it's hard. And I think the copycat guys, I don't think they get it that, hey, this game will be made by five people and, you know, we'll get up to spending half a million a month on it for, you know, a year. You need a, a team like four times the size to do live ops. And and you kind of looking could, looking at like Evermerge, like, you know, those games are pushing live ops. You know, they have battle passes, things like that. But uh, it's very difficult, very diverse kind of set of new levers, elastic levers that, you know, we like holiday events, we always get peak spent, but you can't use them too much, right? You got to do like a two yeah. week or three yeah. week window it's also funny that uh how do you do holidays for like a, a global game right so you don't offend yeah. anyone yeah tricky it, it, ter- yeah. it turns out nintendo figured it out so really? nintendo's oh. games yeah yeah in um that town game every game is a town game that i don't remember they have these like you, you know mean, instead like, of an- Patrick, an- an- animal crossing animal crossing yeah animal crossing yeah, yeah. animal that's crossing has all <laughs> of the all of the animal crossing holidays are totally neutral so instead of saint patrick's day it's like clover day or something it, it's very yeah. very good reference <laughs> Definitely. I had it. Um, I, I was playing quite a bit of Pokemon Unite when it first came out because I, I like MOBAs and I, I was interested in it. And I'm also a huge Pokemon fan. But they also have like, you know, a winter time and everyone's wearing vaguely Santa like outfits, but it's just <laughs> never mentioned. And it's just called like Winter Bash or whatever. And then and yeah. everyone knows what you're referencing, but you, you never have to make a stand of like, this is what we want to project out to our players or something like that. Um, I had a question about, about like, Live ops and, and your approach to it. When it comes to like the mechanics of live ops, is this is this a process? And you know, it's all right if this is like secret sauce that you don't want to share at all. But is this something that you guys just sit down in a brainstorm and and you, or are you going to that that Facebook audience again that you did your um your like theme testing on and and kind yeah. of asking there. Are you a B testing? Like, what's kind of the process for finding out that? I think that nice um, live ops? an interesting thing, and uh, and it's obvious, so I don't care if it's one of the things that that's interesting is like hyper casual really taught studios that know how to do hyper casual that you can very quickly, you know, within a week drop like a half finished piece of junk and it may get engagement. And, you know, we've, I think we probably did around 50 prototypes and like some of them were just like, why is this, why are people playing this a third day? So one of the things we're kind of wrestling with and, you know, given resources, I, I want to get to it is if we're looking at different gameplays, why can't we just launch hyper casual games and see what, what the engagement is on the audiences that we're looking for? And then that would be the basis for a mini game. But on the other hand, why can't you just run that mini game in the live game? you know, as, as an A-B test and see what the engagement is there. So like you can treat you can treat live ops elements as just separate prototypes, looking at them from a hyper casual point of view, Ex- yeah. literally the same metrics. Think about if a player goes in and play like uh, Mergen's da- daily play times could be, you know, anywhere from t- to 40 minutes. So if a player is playing this mini game for five minutes, and not playing the other, so not adding that five minutes as an increment, but instead that time takes up time from other places. That's a great right. KPI to look at, and it's so easy to, to measure it. So things like that. So I don't know if many folks are doing that. I know guys like Playrix are always actively experimenting with that, you know, to some massive successes. I just don't know if really changing core gameplay is really the way to go. We're definitely experimenting with it. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, what you were saying about having, you have that audience then, right? You don't have to go acquire users at all. If you throw something out into the store uh, in hyper-casual style, like either you do have to do a little bit of spend 
to get it in front of people or you hope it's organic yeah. but you have an audience and they are your target audience right so um I, I, you know, I'm, but, I'm, and if they're cannibalizing that's the issue if they cannibalize that's right? the issue so, right yeah. yeah don't want that don't want that things to to weigh i suppose when making these kinds of decisions um, um well, we haven't talked about ua like you know a lot of these games a lot of casual games are using kind of misleads and it's interesting mm-hmm. that they're using misleads for absolutely terrible stupid pin games or whatever yeah um, and then the audience doesn't care that those pin games are actually not part of the experience. It's a very interesting kind of situation <laughs> where um, do you actually follow up on your misleads and actually make something for those players? There's this whole thing with uh, pimple popping. Oh my um, God. Yeah, so, uh, and that's interesting because there, there's a merge studio out there that's that leverages that pretty heavily. I mean, we started to, with, with Merge, and we, we, have, we have the home design game as well. But it's like, I hate having these conversations where it's like, should we do, should we actually do like a pimple popping mini game? And it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I It mystifies me that it actually works. Like, well, pimple popping aside, like the pin games, you know, like I, or I had it one time with that game Top War that they showed me a, a, a misleading ad that it was, you had these cool islands that you could merge together or something like that. I don't know. I, I thought that looked pretty fun, tapped on it, saw yeah. the game wasn't it. And I uninstalled that extremely quickly because I, I, I almost felt a bit insulted by it. But I guess players have, have I don't a think different... you're the core player. <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But um, you know what? You know, you know what? I think in the long run, it it won't be working just as fine as right now because, as I try to explain to myself, right now the hyper casual audience is very wide and it can it is it continues to grow. But then there is process of maturing and the hyper casual audience becomes casual audience. And so that's the moment where you can catch them up using the misleads and just put them in, right in your game. But at some point, there will be enough casual players already transformed from hyper-casual ones. And they will be mature enough, I mean, from the game experience perspective, to know what they want. And then the CPIs will go up and this whole mislead mystery will just fade away. Or at least that's what I hope for. I mean, dude, like Gardenscapes, they're still doing that. It's crazy. So, yeah, I think I've seen seen um, some kind of an article recently with Nexters because they were like one of the first guys to try this approach. And they were saying, you know what? We shouldn't call it misleading. We should call it like secondary gameplay or non primarily gameplay or like. I don't know. I don't know. Process identical to gameplay, but not gameplay. But it is so strange. Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, you're you're setting the mood for what's in the game, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you want a good target audience with good retention, with good LTV, you want to target them with uh, with something that inside your game. We've been discussing it with Yes uh, the last time. And well, first of all, there are some laws out there for advertising like in real life. You can't advertise steak in McDonald's. Yeah, because at what point will, does it become yeah, false yeah. advertising? That's kind of where, exactly. I, where I wonder yeah. about the legal questions there. Yeah. I think um, uh, you're showing the themes of your game in an artsy way. And like, I'm fine with that. I mean, the thing is, misleads are not going to give you, they're going to give you a percent of good users. And, you know, if you have no other channels, that's what you have to go to. And like, you know, we leverage it. Some of them are really funny. I mean, also, you can't discount that this is just, you know, hooks and, and funny stuff. Yeah, that's mostly what it is. And and uh, shouldn't take it too personally, I guess, like the, if, if it's not exactly what it says in the tin. But cool, let's, let's shift for a moment a bit more to the story of original games. And uh, of course, it's one of your, your entrepreneurial and endeavors but you have two merge games could you speak a little bit about like uh how that came to be merge in we've talked about it a bit we haven't talked that much about merge dumb so what's yeah. the deal there so merge them was a roll-up so it's an acquisition where we had an opportunity bigger games is kind of was shifting focus on a kind of a different genre and they were really I, I mean even on the calls i could tell the senior management and just the game teams were torn between these two products where they wanted to give love to one but you know if you look at the metrics they just they weren't doing it so we were able to acquire it and the goal there is like these games are basically the same at the core they're the same they have a very limited meta merge them has merge them has a really weird art style that for some reason works so that's fine um it has a core of decorating you know which is another kind of staple casual but the the core values of the games are the same so whatever successes we have with merge in you know we plan to bring over and luckily the state of merge them the code was great and you know usually developers just say hey we just got to rewrite this and then, then it'll work and that was not the case you know a couple things we had to change some some uh, some architectural things you know it's been taking time of course but i think a successful roll-up in, in three months is like industry leading wow 
So um, we were able to get the game working back at the same way it was when it was managed by Bigger. And, you know, plan is just to improve it. A lot of this live op stuff that we're saying, I think that's going to be going in there soon. You know, when we started the conversation, I said, is this is this investor facing or is this game dev facing? And like investors love to throw around cross promotion. Cross promotion is really hard. So we've had successes with it. My idea is let's. So what's interesting with cross promotion on Merge, and this could be like a interesting item not many, not many know, is like the churn is basically none. Players love having both games, at least these games. So we're very happy just kind of aggressively pushing cross-promotion because we're seeing that players are not leaving either game. They're just playing both. And that's good. Um, will that work at scale? I think that's the bigger question. Interesting. That's uh, something that, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. If my, what do you call them? Containers? If my yeah, containers, containers are on cooldown in one game, then I can just yeah. swap over to my other favorite <laughs> merge game and play there. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but I think and the, hopefully the, you the buy that. The interesting part is, are they monetized in both of the games if they begin playing them? Or yeah, they, the for example, yeah. yeah, they continue to pay in the first game and the second is rather for, for playing itself. We have 16 different segments on players. So some players will just pay everywhere. You know, there's some players that are paying, but they're going to leave. And that's where the opportunities are. The situation where, okay, I want I have two hours to play and okay, I'm done with the free stuff in this game and go to that game. That's not the best situation to be in. But of course, if that's the case, please play my other game. It's definitely more appealing. I mean, they're still in your in your ecosystem, right? They're, they're, exactly. They still are, are, are within that bubble. And then, as you were saying, live ops can start to bring in more and more reasons to play, to want to stay. So, And we didn't talk about kind of web stores, because that may be kind of a future tactic as part of live ops is like, you know, imagine you have like, so Supercell does have the Supercell ID where they have, I, I think the store is just unified. I don't know if that will work so well with casual, but on the other hand, if you can get a package that gives you a bonus between the two games, that's really cool. I mean, that's going to take a lot of back end work but um, definitely something I think everyone's going to be exploring. We're exploring. So now that you're talking a little bit more about the future, what the future could hold, let's move into that, uh, that big topic, I suppose. And let's start with the problem that we see uh, in, in Merge. We'd love to hear your, your, your point of view on that. So the, the core gameplay is great. We talked about the motivations that, that drive players to do it. And you actually gave us that insight that churn is really, really low uh, when it comes to if people are playing more than one. But long-term retention seems from the outside, like I don't work in Merge uh, super deeply, but Stan and I kind of identified that as, as a potential problem area for the genre. How, how do you yeah, see that? Right. So I think the long-term retention is the kind of North Star of what, what you got to fix. And of course, long-term retention, I'm looking at that as like two years, more than one year, because that's what will make an extremely successful casual game is if you can get that two-year retention. I don't think anyone's really figured it out. Of course, it, it's a very practical problem, right? Your board fills up. So, but if you give a new board, you know, all your content, all your progress is gone. So, you know, different ways of solving it. I think no one's really solved it perfectly. I think the key is the game is a platform for mergey things. There could be a narrative, like, you know, Mergent does have a narrative. Every level that you pass, every episode that you pass, there's a little bit of a story that you're told. That might be enough for, for some folks. Some folks want to see if grandma killed grandpa or whatever. But then there's live ops that you know, you engage with other folks. So again, like I came from Machine Zone and the power of having, like if you guys have ever played Mobile Strike or Game of War or the Final Fantasy games, you know, it's like, there's not, there's not much to look at. And like, I think, you know, the, the Final Fantasy IP can't even be wasted on that. Why can't they just do a generic one, right? But it's all about social and social with, uh, Midcore games is very different from casual, but you know, we have social and we see that folks are interacting and, and like the really hardcore people that live ops will focus on are doing social. So long-term way could be um, pushing the social to be much more significant. And I think that's a good answer to it, to the problem. It's going to take a lot of time. Interesting. I like what you say that it's a platform for mergey things. And I think that's the right way to look at it in the sense that if you're too laser focused that no, it, it needs to be this and it needs to be what it is today into the future, then you're kind of missing the opportunity to move more towards a platform where people come for more than one reason. That's also why social is a thing, right? Like you want to interact with other people. It's not just that you're there to play merge. You also want to have that social experience. I am I think curious. This, I think... Oh. Uh, Good. I was gonna I was gonna say like don't be fooled that I mean you work with social casino stuff like those people definitely do not want a social experience in some cases but many social casino experiences including coinmaster mm -hmm. that's arguably a social casino experience uh, is yes. so, is social absolutely um, extremely and, but so. it's not not in the same way that you know an FPS is that's just a very very important line to, to kind of not get over right 
Right. Yeah. I had one follow-up though, just from like from game design curiosity. You were saying the big problem is the board. Can you just share some fun anecdotes of like things you tried with your team to brainstorm on of like how to solve that problem that just didn't work out? Or uh... I mean, I, uh, I'm sure everyone that's looked at this seriously all had the same ideas, and I think my role as kind of head of product at the company, um, I mean, that's what I focus on, is just saying, guys, this is not a direction that we should. Pursue right now just given the time i mean like my best solution and is that there has to be several boards mm -hmm. but then how do you how do you make that appealing and, and not feel like you're losing progress decreasing the size of the tiles is not so good increasing just the size of the board i think it's going to be too confusing i mean i think the craziest one that that our uh, product owner was saying was like we, we need to sell a board so you have another board that's sold but like you have to switch to it and you could sell these boards and then you know, players could switch to them and continue the progress i just think that that will create such havoc on kind of the ui imagine yeah. you have like three boards and maybe we should do that the boards merge the boards unmerge it's a platform for mergy things, man, Arsene, you said it yourself. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, just like, uh, you know, the Scapes games are platforms for match three things, matchy things. Definitely, definitely. That's what it's turned into, yeah. Yeah. All right, so just uh, like a quick fire question here about the kinds of monetization that you see in, in Merge and what you think works best. How do you guys approach it? Are you like pure in-app purchase? Do you use some admon? Is there a hybrid situation? Or what yeah. do you think is the best? Um, so... And this is like, you know, we could have an hour on this. The point Maybe not, is... Not we, that quick fire then. Go for it. <laughs> we, we, do, we do hybrid. Um, we're very good at ads. We're very good at identifying places where you can say, hey, uh, watch this video. We're very good at that. We have really good um, engagement on rewarded video. The problem is those incremental views, you know, CPM drops. And it's, it's like, it's not a linear drop. And, you know, at, at some point it's... So, of course, you want to leverage IEP. Folks that are more into the game, longer-term players, work, are going to be kind of IEP-driven. And that's just a fact of life, I think. I mean, it makes sense. If you like something, you'll pay. If you're not ever paying, you're probably not super engaged. So we're, we're managing both. We finally got it to be 50-50 IEP ads. That was our big kind of milestone at the, at the beginning of this month on Merge In. So if you if you guys are AppMagic customers and you're looking at our data, please just multiply it by, <laughs> you know, two or three to get our revenue data. But so, so having said that, like the deeper funnel of this, the iceberg is ad monetization gives you a CPM for the user upon first request, first ad request. So therefore, if I'm seeing that a player has, you know, is getting ads for significantly higher CPM than another player, that player is most likely a whale. So in the first hour, I can, I can identify a whale. That's incredible. No, like that hasn't happened in games. The old guard you know, the grandfathers, they're still buying on IEP. And there's this opportunity that we can identify with some degree of certainty whales, you know, just or just folks that are like, this guy's rich, he must have spent something at some point or she, right? So um, there's something very appealing about keeping ad revenue as a monetization method, just because also there's a way to buy against knowing that data so early. So that, that's, that's a good argument idea. for keeping it. That's yeah. a really good one. So like using your ad revenue information to identify different groups of players, different cohorts, it's really great. Very yeah. clever. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's standard, and I just wish more. Uh, is Apple in here? Where's Iron Source? Get, get your <laughs> systems so you can you can finally buy against ad revenue in a smart way. The problem, of course, is with you know these privacy things that our, our overlords at, at uh, the, the platforms are doing are hampering that, hampering the ability to uh, kind of use that. Does that change your calculus on monetization in the future, or do you just see this kind of identification that you're able to do as a nice benefit? It's the moments it's part of it i mean the other point is with uh, rewarded videos or ads your your roas grows much faster and that's also i mean that that could be kind of a false flag you know we, we have a pltv model that looks at every player out to a year and it factors ad revenue so i mean it's all good again it's you know thin ice in some cases you got to be careful and i think the future of, of mobile will always have higher monetization ip will always be there but you know if you can get the first layer of everyone doing ads that's also interesting and it opens up how you can do ua gotcha. i think just in the previous episode we were talking with the head of publishing from voodoo and that's just what he was talking about they decided to switch the whole whole company from the in-app monetization to hybrid. They've been experimenting for two years straight and like half a year, uh, they finally cracked it. And right now they try with each and every game inside their portfolio and for, the, for new games as well. They try to use the hybrid. I love those guys. They're all about cash. My that favorite. is true. <laughs> 
Well, uh, at the same time, uh, going on for the cash, it really brings very, very good insights, very strategic decisions that are wise. And this is good. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Games are a business at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, but it is a business and then folks are willing to pay just like casinos are. But I mean, the other end of the day is that, hey, like makes people happy. And it is it is an escape in, in some cases, even if it's a stupid mouse with its uh, cooking, you know, for customer, for other animals. Um, there you go. I think that's that's why a lot of us are in the business because we're, we're affecting people in very, very simple ways. And I mean, so, some of the reviews we get or some of the customer service emails are really like, you know, some people are in a hospital or something and they're like your game is the only game that gets me through the day and i can't i can't get up so i'm like i have nothing to do except play your game and it's like thank you that's amazing so i think that's totally right and i think it's well said as well we're we're here in this industry to give people those experiences uh and it's amazing that you guys are getting that kind of feedback so what does the future hold for you and and original games but also for for merge as a genre where do you see it going and, and how do you see those experiences changing in the future yeah um I mean, I don't think the genre is going away. Well, I mean, one, we didn't talk about this. One of the reasons that I think it's going away is guys like guys that are spending crazy. They're basically teaching everyone how to play these games. Because like, yeah, I'll be the first to say that our first time user experience, we need to work on that shit. Like, we just don't have the time. Uh, that's a lot of work. And that, that's a lot of time. But thankfully, Merge Mansion already taught everyone how to play. Um, right, right. So that's really good. I think someone's going to figure out how to do it. What is the right mix? And then, of course, everyone's going to first copy and then everyone's going to innovate and I don't think it's going away. I mean, for original games, like we're at heart a casual company. Um, and I, there's a couple genres that I'm really interested in that are also not match three. So I'd love to have the time to, um, we have a third unannounced game. Uh, and I don't know when we can even announce it based on legal stuff. So doing that, it's also a merge genre, but hopefully next year we'll, we'll do some, uh, maybe buy another game and, uh, do something original outside of merge. Nice. That's very exciting. Super. I think that kind of brings us to a nice kind of like closing point. Stan, I'll pass it to you for uh, for any final questions you may have for Arsene. Yeah, sure. Sure thing. There is one, I think one uh, final question we usually ask our guests and us as well. So usually it's about three games, but I think for this episode, we can just narrow it down to one. So what one game will you recommend right now? It, it might be a game that you really love. Uh, it might be a game that you've played recently. Any game that you want to talk about. So Arsene, how, how if you can deep, take the list. How deep do we go? Anything. Well, well, yeah. is this like? It, well, it can be oh, mobile. It can be PC consoles. It can be okay, a game like I'll, I'll do from it. Thirty I'll do years it. ago. Okay. Ash, go for All it. Right. Go for it. Yeah. 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 This is what you got to do, guys. This is what you got to do. You got to download GZ Doom. Okay. Then you got to find this mod. <laughs> you got to find this mod called MyHouse.Wad. You might need to download. You might need to buy Doom Two on Steam, and then you're going to be in for a ride. Okay, okay. <laughs> my, my, my house, this came out in March. This came out in March. And I'm recommending this to everybody. Myhouse.wad. Okay, all right. This is interesting. I'm, I'm already like, typing yeah. it into Google at the moment. <laughs> so, so do you um, want to tell us anything about this ride? Or is it just something you want people to experience? I mean, it's like um, I'm into modding. And like once, cool. you know, once every X years, some insane modder does all of these steps. So like if you even follow this guy on the forum, he started posting about this, like I think years ago. I don't know if it was all like a grand scheme or if it was just like, how do I make this kind of work? But basically it, it looks like an old level that someone, you know, that a kid in high school made, but it goes really deep and it has this whole liminal spaces uh, meme thing, like back rooms. I just thought it was, I was floored uh, when I played this. I thought it was going to be something really simple, but any, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. You got to check it out. And yeah, then the nice. other one that I would, that I would say is like, um, I've been, you know, if you're into hardcore survival and I'm not, I was playing Stalker Anomaly, which is like, they took the three Stalker games and made this crazy mod out of them. And it's completely free to play. It has no manual. So you kind of have to figure things out yourself. But if you're into really hardcore survival, Stalker Anomaly is a freaking good one. What about you guys? What are your go-tos? Go ahead, Stan. Yes. You get to go okay. first. Okay. So I think my first one will be will be pretty, not obvious, but not as extravagant as yours are saying. So uh, I've recently began playing God of War Ragnarok and it's it's a really good game so I, I really love the narrative I mean from the core gameplay perspective it's just the almost the clone of the first one nothing special there but I really love how they use the 
storytelling mechanics, how they build the characters, how they build the relationship between the characters, how they use the throwbacks to the first game and to the original series as well. So, I mean, from the storyline point of view, that's something that really, really shines. And also, there is another game. I haven't played it myself, but I've seen the person right next to me playing it like for, I think, 200 hours straight. And that, that is something like, when I'm looking at games like that, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that's a big game with lots of mechanics. I will never play it. Okay, not 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 in this life. So that's Persona Five. Very <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. But, uh, yeah, but it is a thing. So it is the visual side, the music. I really love the music, and I think I can just from the top of my mind recognize half of the tunes from the different stores and different battlegrounds there right now. And I really love the depth of the game. So this whole Pokemon mechanic uh, with the RPG and living the ordinary life combined. That's, I think, one of the things Eastern developers, they really shine with it. And here in the Western market, we do not have much games like that. So that's an interesting experience. Cool. I'll uh, finish it up. Arsene, I'm inspired by your super deep cuts. I don't know if I can make the cuts as deep, but a really quirky special game that I've um, super inspired by is uh, Baba Is You. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Because like, I-, I was inspired to, to name that one, Arsene, because you were like, just download it and play it. And like the less explanation, the least amount of explanation the better you know it's just the kind of game you want to put in someone's hands and then watch them experience figuring it out which is quite fun and yeah for a second one i'll just be totally honest i'm loving the newest expansion of world of warcraft dragonflights and this is like showing my <laughs> oh my god my age as a gamer i guess i don't know but like i just i just love it it's, it's, it's been my game since i was a kid and they finally added a support class which is pretty... So the, the cool thing is that it's like, the game is really old, big. It has this massive, you know, community of players behind it. Of uh, They simulate everything about the game. They've min-maxed it within an inch of its life. Yet the developers were brave enough to release this new character archetype that is that is like throwing the Holy Trinity on its head. It's just not a pure DPS. It does something else. It supports its, its allies. That's cool. Which I really like. And I've, I've been watching lots of like, you know, content about it. And it has a lot of the more hardcore players out there scratching their heads. And there and there's an interview with a game designer I watched yesterday where he's just trying to explain to the guy, no, no, we're, we're taking this in a new direction. This is a new thing. And I think it's really brave of the developers over there. So I tip my hat to them and uh, we'll be playing yes. uh, that character, I guess, from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, those yeah, those are my games. Yeah. Super good. old game, and it's great that they're still doing stuff with it. Doing new stuff. Also, the dragon riding mechanic is just like it just makes me so happy. It's like game game designers <laughs> putting new shit in that's really fun. It's just fun, you know. Good stuff. Anyways, I guess that brings us to the end of this conversation. Um, Arsene, I want to thank you, Stan. I'll pass it over to you to, to do the signing off. But this was a great conversation. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. Very it fun. Was better. A bunch of nerds. Yeah, it was good, right? <laughs> exactly. Was, it was great. Well, I think one of the best discussions we had so far. So, guys out there, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for looking at us, uh, like T-shirt bunch. And see you next episode. Take care. Good luck. Have fun. Thank you, Arshini. Bye, guys. All right. All right.